BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong on an incredibly bombastic blockbuster boffo box office episode of this show, Jacqueline. I mean, you talk about the all-time movies, and we've had some fun conversations recently, and they range from indie movies to some movies that did pretty well at the multiplex, but it's hard to top our subject today. How are you doing? You and I did get into a tiff right before we, we went to air. <laughs> Not right before, but close enough before. First of all, I will just say your Washington football club played valiantly. And I texted you some news that you may be the most well-funded team ever because Jeff Bezos is thinking of buying you. So although we won please. the day, you may win the win the war. Please, please save us. And then we went from that <laughs> battlefield into whether we disagree or agree on the brunch controversy. I'm not a <laughs> yes. brunch guy at all. Jacqueline is the leader of the brunch brigade. And maybe that's why... We're bringing on a guest to be a third neutral party, but I think our guest has feelings on brunch as well as the movie we're talking about today, which is a little flick called Avengers Endgame. Have you heard of it? Yeah, we're celebrating the return of the MCU to theaters because The Eternals is out as of today, or at least tonight on November 4th when this episode is released, and it's going to be in theaters for quite a while because, again, it's one of these Marvel Cinematic Universe films that really expands the lore exponentially from what we've already known, and we thought Avengers Endgame does that because, again, it was called Avengers Endgame. It was the companion piece to Avengers Infinity War, and Endgame is still the second best reviewed MCU movie ever at 94%, which is obviously certified fresh, and a 90% fresh audience score. Our guest today is going to be the one, the only, you've known him from everything from us here at Rotten Tomatoes. He's always a friend of the show from Screen Junkies, from the movie Trivia Schmodown. He is the one, the only, the, the owner of Taco, or maybe Taco owns him, Lon Harris. You're a returning favorite, sir. Hey, oh, what a, what a delight to be a favorite. How how many times do you go somewhere and somebody tells you you're a favorite? That's, that's It's never a brunch place for me. I'm not wanted there. Um, how do you not like brunch? <laughs> okay, cool. Let's dive in here before we get into Rotten oh, Tomatoes boy. and whether they're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You, sir, are wrong about brunch. A delightful meal. All right. I might have to bring... I'm Now, see, I'm going to have to welcome in producer Lucy in a little bit, too, because maybe she can even the score with brunch, but before we hear from Lucy, Lon, maybe mm. there is something you and I can agree on, and that would be your feelings on Avengers Endgame. Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong about that 94% certified fresh score? Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about this movie. Hey, li listen, I I'm not saying it's the, it's the worst MCU movie, Ooh. but it's certainly not, it's not S tier. It's not among the very best of the MCU. That's what you're talking about when you're talking about 94% agreement that you're, you're, you're talking about the very, the, 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 the top of the, the, the pantheon, the, the essentials of this franchise. I don't think Endgame comes even close to that level. All right. Well, Jacqueline, it was almost like you could hear the brakes screeching because everybody was writing in to support Lon and yourself with their feelings <laughs> on brunch. And then they were like, wait, what did he just say? So we're going to talk all things Avengers Endgame. We're going to get Jacqueline and I's thoughts as well on it. But before we get there, Jacqueline, I guess this is going to be a brief synopsis, because if you didn't see Avengers Endgame yet, I don't know what to tell you. 
Yeah, I'm basically going to tell you who's alive, who's dead, and the basic <laughs> bullet points. So Avengers Endgame is the second half of the final chapter of the first arc of the MCU, where we sort of see our folks that we sort of led up to, to the Avengers, find their sort of final chapter in an Avengers movie, end of phase three. You got Thor, you got Black Widow, you got Hawkeye, you have Hulk, um, you have Tony Stark and Captain America. So uh, Iron Man and Captain America. At the end of this, Black Widow sacrifices herself, Tony Stark is dead, and everybody else is really sad. But also Gamora, one of the Gamoras disappears because folks didn't know the big thing about this particular installment is they use time travel as a way to thwart Thanos, who's the big villain from Infinity War. He did his snap. Half of the team sort of disappeared. The remaining team, after Paul Rudd comes out of the Quantumverse, comes together, they get together, they pull out a heist to steal time. And then Tony sacrifices himself with his own snap to bring everything back. And I and Iron Man. And the crowd goes wild. And and Captain America lifts Thor's hammer. There you go. Yeah. Captain America lifts Thor's hammer and then Captain America, not necessarily dead at the end of the movie, but uh, very, very old and uh, really useless. not fit for combat. Yeah, Not fit for combat. He's yeah, not there useless. You go. He's not you. He's he can still do day to day tasks. Useless. <laughs> he's, well, he's like, also a- atrophied. He spent the last 50 years just hanging out with his wife, being a wife guy in an alternate reality, just like letting Vietnam and 9-11 happened. Just like, listen, I got TV to catch up on. I missed a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of albums <laughs> that, you know, I know like Falcon didn't recommend a lot of classic albums. He's got Trouble Man in there, but listen, it's a lot a lot of CDs to get through. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, just, I want to see the look on Captain America's face when he hears the clash for the first time and he says, what is happening to music? This is this is not my rock and roll. <laughs> like, yeah, that Zemo never mentioned this. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Producey Lucy. You are on hand from your new palatial estate. So it looks like Bruckner Manor West is getting set up. Um, Lucy, wow. how do you feel about Avengers Endgame? Is it is it right or wrong according to Rotten Tomatoes? I mean, definitely wrong. I agree with Lon. Too high. It's wow. not like I've I enjoy a popcorn flick okay i love to go to the marvel films i love to go to the dc film i will go to all the big blockbusters take all my money but i don't think that they necessarily qualify as like good films and so you know it's just very cookie cutter for me uh there were moments i liked the part that i absolutely hated and maybe i'll get into it is that whole like girl power thing i was like this is offensive this is so stupid. That is wow. one that I also had a hard time with, I will just say. Had a hard time with. Okay. Well, yeah, let's let's get into this because apparently we have Martin Scorsese our, as our guest today. So, Lon, <laughs> yes. you aren't a fan. You're, it's unfair to say you're not a fan of this movie, but you think that it's too high in the tomato meter. So let's well, get into this. Why is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Well, I... I, I If we're talking about me and my preferences with this franchise, I think what really makes the MCU work is they have this kind of framework. They have this tone figured out. It's a way of telling these stories that I think it it translates from the comics into movies really well. And I think that 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 really gets highlighted when you have really good like origin stories, like stories that explore these little side pockets of the universe that get to develop their own sort of world within the larger MCU. So your your Thor Ragnaroks, so your your Iron Man 3s, your, your Black Panthers, even Shang-Chi, I think, was a recent really good example of this, of like, they don't feel exactly like all the other MCU films, but it still feels recognizable. And I think that when you can find that balance, like, like, Taika Waititi did in Thor Ragnarok, where it feels like he's doing his own thing. It's got its own personality and look, but it's also like, well, these are the characters I like. This is moving the MCU story forward. I think with the big team up stuff like Endgame and Civil War and Age of Ultron, you get so bogged down in the like larger universe of storytelling. And this this movie, Endgame is like a good season finale 
that's not a good standalone episode of the TV show. You know, like in a season of The Sopranos, it's like the second to last episode is the best episode of the TV show because it's the one that works the best as its own thing. And then the finale is like, all right, wrap up all these stories because we got to see next season. And that's what Endgame feels like to me. It's like, all right, wrap this stuff up. Give the people like the, the, the catchphrase they wanted to hear and finish this up. But the other stories that are getting you along the path are a lot more interesting on their own. Are you accusing Endgame of being the last movie, which would be the the last top number one on Dave Letterman's top ten list? Because number two is always the funniest joke, Ex- and then number exa- one was that's just exactly some cheesy right. thing to get you out of here, Jacqueline. There's a lot of yeah. slander going on right now with Endgame <laughs> between Producey, Lucy, and Lon. Your feelings? Not that. Um, <laughs> look. I think when you get to the top or the bottom of any of these lists, it is very subjective unless there is like a glaring thing that you could maybe point to to be at the very top or at the very bottom. So I'm not going to like come against you guys for being like, oh, this is too high. But I would argue whatever you're going to put higher than that, there are just as many flaws that you can argue against. So there's just no reason. There's so much There's so much fire and fury. This was hard. And I do think with this particular film, you have to score for the difficulty. This is Simone Biles being able to do tricks that other people can't. You know why we don't have a comparable film to compare what it's like to be the finale installment of a multi-billion dollar franchise told out in chapters over a decade? It's because no one else is able to do it. And so it is ridiculous to even think about trying to compare this to those other films. They didn't have to do the same things. Those other films only had one task. Tell a good story, maybe introduce a couple characters, but, you know, fill your installment. So, yeah, the directors got to have a little bit more fun and do a play around. The mandate, as it were, the assignment of Endgame was Herculean and trust. They understood the assignment. And I think that has to be factored in. I'm I'm right there with you because I feel like the the bar that you had to get over for this movie, where some movies in the MCU, the challenge was like a sixth grade science project, where it's just show us the basics, show us you have a competent understanding of how to tell this story. And then this was like building a rocket ship because you had so much going on. And in this day and age of intense scrutiny amongst the projects and properties we love, the fact that we had to do pick up from five years, we had to do a post Thanos snap return of everybody and then we also had time travel and we're throwing all of this into the Vitamix just to make it believable for the time we're watching the movies impressive so it's I I really think that this movie had a very high hurdle to get over and I think it soared marvelously through that no pun intended but let's talk to Tim Ryan now because Tim Ryan our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes always has his finger on the pulse of what the critics were saying at the time this movie was released, which was what, back in 2019? We we were so young. Tim, take it away with this segment we like to call Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. Avengers Endgame had the nearly impossible task of tying up every thread from multiple phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, giving dozens of beloved characters their chance to shine, and delivering a giant blockbuster that worked on its own terms. And guess what? By almost every measure, they did just that. Avengers Endgame is certified fresh at 94% with a whopping 547 reviews, and it has a 90% audience score. And it also made all the money at the box office. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Kim Newman from Sight & Sound wrote, The last real battle pretty much has to be the most satisfying superhero movie set piece of all time, delivering the multiple closures this long-in-the-telling saga needs. However, in a rotten review, Anthony Lane of The New Yorker wrote, you can easily duck out during the middle hour, do some shopping, and slip back into your seat for the climax. You won't have missed a thing. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, exciting, entertaining, and emotionally impactful, Avengers Endgame does whatever it takes to deliver a satisfying finale to Marvel's epic Infinity Saga. So that's Endgame. Jacqueline? Mark? This is the podcast of your lives. You are going to make a good podcast whatever it takes. Back to you, folks. Thank you, Tim, for that very snappy recap of what the critics were saying at the time. So let's get right into this. It is time to transition into movie talk. Brian, hit the music. The power that I wield. It's like I have my own Infinity Stone (laughs) where I can just command the great Brian Perez to play music at my whim. So 
Let's get into this, Lon and Jacqueline. We're talking about Endgame here, and this is, like Tim said, arguably the biggest blockbuster of all time, depending on re-releases and where how many times Avatar has been back in theaters versus how many times this has been back in theaters. They may be going back and forth for a while, but everybody saw Avengers Endgame, and the reason is because this felt like the closing of that saga. We're going to get plenty more stories in the MCU. The Eternal's a great example, but this felt like closing the chapter on that initial cast of characters that we loved. So is this the the greatest spectacle in the MCU? And is that why it let you down, Lon? Or was it just, how, how could they have done Endgame where it would have been more satisfying to you, is I guess the question, given the task at hand that Jacqueline and I had referenced. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really the key question. I think what, what they set up with Infinity War and Endgame was... Uh, a very difficult thing to do narratively. And I think that, you know, like what what you guys are saying is not is not wrong. The idea that this was a very hard thing to do. You had this incredibly long running franchise and you had to like wrap it up and put this kind of button on it. I just feel like it's a participation trophy thing to be like, well, it was so hard to do. They slumped across the finish line. Bravo. <laughs> here's your reward. I, I just I feel like, you know, if we're talking about this as a movie, as its own movie, not as the the button on this, you know, if we're talking about if, if it was is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the MCU as an entity, I would have a different opinion. That's what I'm saying. But uh, in terms of this as a movie, I do think uh, as spectacle, there are obviously moments and sequences that work. I don't think this has some of the best in terms of just action scenes of the MCU, but I do agree that last 20, 30 minute huge battle, it's a it's a very good recreation of what reading a big comic book is like 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 the that shot with all the portals opening you feel like you're looking at a splash page from a comic rendered cinematically to me the highlight stuff of the MCU isn't oh that perfectly replicates a comic book because we already have comic books it's when they take the raw materials of a comic and turn it into something that works best as a movie and feels like cinematic and original to the movies and and that's what i think endgame sometimes struggles like the the Captain America fighting himself sequence should be so much better than it is. It just I don't know. It, it's like it's kind of flat on the movie screen. Um, I do. I do like the big portal sequence. I think that as pure spectacle, here's all the characters we've introduced over the past decade fighting each other in this big battle royale. Like that's what the fans wanted. And, and they certainly delivered on that moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And there was some pretty great footage that I guess Marvel or maybe somebody else took. It felt like it was official footage, not pirated, which is why I can celebrate it here is I, it might even been at the premiere. Oh, everybody cheering at that the moment when Cap everybody going Miriam. crazy when all those portals open up, because sure. that's exactly how I think we all felt watching it. Lon is it was like you're you're a kid and you're looking at this huge splash page yeah. in a comic book well, and you just it looks amazing. And that's one thing they did strategically and cleverly was you know, Cap never says Avengers Assemble. He almost says it in all the other movies leading up to this one. They, they teased it because they knew that would be a huge thing to pull out at this big moment. And same thing with the with the Thor's hammer and who's worthy and those questions. Like they, they planted these seeds and then they were admirably patient in waiting for them to pay off. So like in terms of those those details and moments that they sort of seeded through the franchise, of course, that that then emotionally pays off at the very end. What's the scene for you, Jack, when that you say th this is why Avengers Endgame did get over that high bar it had set for itself? Um, I think the reason why I can say that is because even though it was doing a lot every single character had their own particular moments to shine. And some of the moments that I enjoyed the most were from characters who haven't gotten their standalone. Basically what I'm talking about is Mark Ruffalo's Professor Hulk. That whole thing, 
I and Lon, I know your your Schmodown um, name and persona is the professor. Mm-hmm, sure. So this is like even funnier. But I will say, <laughs> based on how you're grading in game, never signing up for one of your classes. Real oh, talk. Sorry, wow. you are harsh, sir. There is uh, no curves as far as you are concerned. Woo. The professor uh, mostly teaches like the French New Wave. And it's not going <laughs> to be. It's not going to be end game stuff. No, I get it. I feel it. Um, but yeah, no, I really loved how they took where that character was throughout the story. And basically when he's talking through that scene where Mark Ruffalo talks through his idea of why he's able to control the Hulk better and how he no longer feels this need to divide who he is. I would have loved to have seen that in a standalone film, but I really felt that that was like a great moment. Also, probably not the most PC choice, but I lived for Fat Thor and everything that he did. I'm right there Fat with Thor you. Thor was the man. When he got his hammer back, I, I shed a tear. Come on, we gotta go. Three, two. No, wait. What, what am I looking at? Oh, sometimes it takes a second. <laughs> I'm still worthy. As a as a uh, a heavy set gentleman, I, I didn't have a problem. I know some people did, and I'm not trying to discount their problems with Fat Thor. It is a subjective thing. But I my worry was they were gonna like magically slim him down for the big finish, and the fact that he got to stay Fat Thor and still be a badass at the end to me redeems the whole concept. Like it, it, it no, it's about he was still worthy. Like even when he was a bigger guy, he was still worthy. And I, I thought I thought that worked really. Even as the resident disliker of this movie, I wanted to jump in and defend Fethel. Well, it, 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 it felt it, it just felt real to me seeing that scene. And so I, I would talk about it on stage around the time the movie came out where like, look, if 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 that's who your friend has been, then then, yeah, there should be no shaming going on. You accept them for who they are. But if your friend was literally a god from Asgard, who was the most shredded human being you had ever or sh- shredded being you had ever met, and they suddenly started letting themselves go drinking kegs of beer a day and playing video games, you might have a word or two with them. So th- seeing Lebowski Thor is so <laughs> It, it, it's a great moment for me because it highlights the comedy that has been a hallmark of the MCU up to that point, as does seeing the professor version of the Hulk, where he's taking selfies with fans at a diner. And it's cute now because this Hulk couldn't control himself at all before. And now he's just taking pictures with fans. You see Lebowski Thor. You have these the the, the time travel barbs about wait. So like, what is this like back to the future? It it had the comedic elements, even going through that fight scene, Lon, with the Captain America fighting himself, when he says, that's America's ass, it's like, this is the comedy that I have come to expect from MCU. But I also felt the weight of the snap, the Thanos snap, where we see City Field, where the Mets play, and it's just so run Mm -hmm. down and decrepit. And then we go to support groups where we're talking about who we lost in the snap and then welcoming everybody back. That felt real to me. That, That felt gritty for yeah, an I mean, MCU I, movie. I think that stuff actually is some of the stuff that works the the best about the movie because that's when it's really telling an original story. It's like, well, what what impact would this have had on the world after all these years? I think so much of the movie then becomes that like looking back, snake eating its own tail, like references thing, like like where we're at, where we're at with the Halloween movies where it's like Let's go back and discuss ev- who lived in every single house in Haddonfield. And like a lot of the time, my <laughs> stuff kind of feels like that to me. Like, oh, let's go back to every single action beat we've had, even for the movies people don't like. Let's go back into Thor the Dark World and hang out there for a while. And it, like, that's the stuff that does it. The stuff that's like, let's look at the world five years after and see emotionally what this has done to people. That's interesting to me. Like, I, I would be in for for a whole movie in the depressed five-year-ahead future. Uh you know, yeah, I think I think that that's because now you're telling a story. I call shade and I call I have an objection. <laughs> I have a huge objection. First of all, they literally went back to at that time, although hmm, we'll see what happens. The lowest rated and probably one of the most maligned Thor movies 
definitely a most maligned a Thor movie and probably one of the most maligned in the MCU. And they found a way to not only make it vital, make it important, but make it feel that some of the storytelling aspects that people disliked were both vital and important. And that to me says that they weren't just trying to be self-referential. If they wanted to be self-referential, they would just go back to the airport scene of civil war. They would go back to all of the like best, most rousing moments. But instead, they actually pick some of the smaller moments, moments with Tony's dad, um, the moment uh, with uh, Loki at the in the in the final part of Avengers is definitely one of the bigger ones. But I don't think that is true. I think they were very specific and very strategic. And Thor the Dark World, that would not be the way to go. I, I'm just sorry. I call shade on that. That's just too easy a cop out. It was difficult, I think. And I think they picked moments that fans would appreciate but also maybe moments that fans will now learn to appreciate because Endgame gave him that runway. Well, it's probably maybe because of his extra padding that Thor was not one of the characters that we lost in that final battle or in the lead up to the final battle in Avengers Endgame. But y'all, we, we did lose some good soldiers that day. Who was the, the, the death in this movie? And it doesn't have to be at that final battle. It could be a Gamora. It could be Black Widow. Who is the death, starting with you, Lon, that, you're, that you felt the weight of? Or maybe, because you're not as high in this movie as I am, was there a death that you felt maybe shortchanged and didn't do service to the character to that point? Uh, I mean, I, I think Black Widow's death is the one that, like, is it, it, it feels the hardest to take. Like, uh, obviously, Tony's death is a big emotional climax of not just this movie, arguably the MCU. I thought, it, 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 especially in terms of performance, Downey Jr. nails that moment. I think it's a good moment. Black Widow's death, I'm not sure I feel the same way about. Mainly, I, in the moment when I was first watching the movie, felt like, oh, obviously it's going to be Hawkeye. It should be Hawkeye here. And I and I still sort of feel that way. Like, I know that there's the, oh, he's the, that man has a family. You know, like, there's that thing. But I don't know. Um... It just it feels it feels weird that that Black Widow's the one who has to s sacrifice herself in that way without ever getting sort of she never her story doesn't get to to sort of close she doesn't get her emotional climax moment she doesn't get the moment of recognition where the team comes together and says you know what you did become this leader and you were sort of the head of this family especially in the post snap era like they 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 almost kind of get there towards the very end. There's that one beat where uh you know they 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 remember her by the lake. I suppose. Uh, I don't know. It feels it feels like she gets kind of the short shrift. And I think even if you make the case that you know that man had a family and it has to be Hawkeye, you got to figure out some way for for Natasha to get her final hero's goodbye rather than just you know jumping off of a cliff. I'm starting to think we mean different people here, Natasha. Last five years, I've been trying to do one thing, get to right here. That's all it's been about, bringing everybody back. No, don't you get all decent on me now. What, you think I want to do it? I'm trying to save your life, you idiot. Yeah, well, I don't want you to. How's that? Natasha, you know what I've done. You know what I've become. Well, I don't judge people on their worst mistakes. What's the death for you, Jack, when that you that you either felt very emotional about or were expecting to get more teary eyed over? Well, I'll back Lon up a little bit on the <laughs> on the Black Widow one just to be like, look, you're up there with Hawkeye and Black Widow. And although it looks like the Hawkeye series is going to prove me wrong, I hope they had scripts for that when they made that decision, because at <laughs> yeah, that exactly. moment I was like. This is not a decision. This should not. This should not be this hard a decision. I mean, I know he had a family, but yeah, girl. come on, um, come on. <laughs> Seriously though, uh, for me, actually, the death. I guess that I, I felt kind of got the the short shrift is actually uh, Heimdall. Um, he had a hero's mm. death. Don't get me wrong, but I've just felt. And it was probably Idris's scheduling conflict. I just feel like that particular character started off very strong in the beginning of the series. And by the end, by his end, it just felt like he never really truly got his due. He always felt like a car that was shifting into a higher gear that never went to the higher gear. 
I totally and, agree with that. Like the, in Ragnarok, there's like you cut away to those scenes of him on Asgard, like saving the people. And it's like, this could have been its whole a whole yes. subplot. Like, we, give yes. me, we also haven't ever left the palace on Asgard. That would have been so cool to see more more of that. I agree. Uh, but hey, I get it. Um, there's there's only so much time in these things. Right. But actually, his was the one that I I specifically because when I look at what they did with Loki, who was a traitor and granted, he became good later. Um, he got a better send off than Heimdall, who's been nothing but a loyal, a loyal Asgardian the entire time. And I think that was a little it just didn't always sit right with me. Yeah. And and I, I can see where you are coming from with a couple of those deaths, because, yeah, first of all, that that death to me, the, the death of Heimdall felt Heimdall felt like, OK, this is how much service each character who's not a core member of the MCU is going to get where it's like we, we get to you get to pop in and say hi. And so from that regard, Lon, I feel your your point where it kind of felt like the the last episode of Seinfeld. We're just going to put everybody on trial yeah. and we're everybody's going to get one more quote in. And then we got to move on because we have so many people to either say goodbye to or set up their stories for the future. But it did add up to the emotional moment that I feel was properly weighted with Iron Man, where you get the snap and you see how impactful this person has been, not just to Spider-Man, although, you know, Peter Parker's the one who's right there, but to everybody, not just the people on screen, to us, the audience, who, again, without that vibrant personality, without the greatness of that first movie, we don't get any of these other things. So I really did feel that, not just in the moment where he sacrifices himself by snapping, but then afterwards where we do get another very comic book panel-like shot of the funeral of Tony Stark. I thought that was so well done where they're all just kind of standing there lost in their own thoughts and the camera is slowly panning back and forth. And it just, it really hits you in that moment, the journey that we've been on the last 10 years with these people. So I thought I'd probably better record a little greeting in the case of an untimely death on my part. I mean, not that death at any time isn't untimely. This time travel thing that we're gonna try and pull off tomorrow, it's, it's, it's got me scratching my head about the survivability of and again, that's the hero gig. Part of the journey is the end. What am I even tripping for? Everything's gonna work out exactly the way it's supposed to. I love you 3,000. Photoshop layers come to magical life. <laughs> None of those people, they were all separate, right? That's a, Those are plates that are being laid over one another for that scene, I always right? get nervous when when it's a shot that's that's a still for that long because I'm like, oh, are we going to pull this off? Am, am I going to... Am I going to cry before <laughs> like, we're done with Howard this? Howard the Duck is back there. It's like a D.H. <laughs> De Niro from the Irishman behind them. <laughs> There's th There is a lot of emotion to chew on in this, and maybe it's, it's too much at times, but you, you can't really talk about Endgame without talking about the, either the greatness, which I just assumed everybody felt about that final <laughs> battle scene, which is 30 minutes or whatever, because the initial rush that you get when the portals open and everybody comes back. It's like, we've been waiting for this. We've had this tantric experience trying to get to this moment for not just since the end of Infinity War, but really since this whole shebang began in 2008. So let's talk about whether that hit the moment for you. Did it pay off like you wanted it to? Jacqueline, you mentioned that you had some thoughts on the, the uh, when, when all the, the women of the MCU unite to start kicking some ass. Yeah, if I have like a, a literal like lean my head back eye roll moment um, to give you perspective, that was pretty much my entire position through the last installment of Star Wars. But the moment <laughs> that gave me that was when the women team up and I, I, I guess they got the glove at that point and they're like, you know, she'll have help as she needs to like take this you know, across the battle lines and every female character of the MCU all team up to sort of play keep away with the evil dudes. And listen, do I want to see the women of the MCU team up? But that was so contrived and so forced and so just placating. It's like, dude, seriously, like we know what you're doing on this one and it's not cute. It's so not cute. Every single woman involved in that deserves better. No, no, mm -mm, no. 
it just felt it felt wrong. And I just I felt bad for every single there are Oscar winners in that group. There are people who have Oscar statues at home that had to participate in that scene. And I feel for them. I really do. Uh, do you think that was bad. the strategy going in was that they got together like they're all in the portal, like they're about to go into the gladiator pit in ancient Rome. And they're like, all right, so we're going to run this strategy in this play. And then we're going to get all the girls to do this. Then all the guys going to do this. Do you think that was their plan going in, Lon? Uh, yeah, I think I think they were they were staying back there like, you know, trying to figure out like what's going to what's going to have the most impact. What's going to. OK, I think all the monks come in first and then once all the magical monks are out, then I think we have some ladies come out. I think that's good. I think that sends the right message. And then, I think you know, yeah, like it does. It feels it feels coordinated in a way that feels I think I think I think Jack is right. It feels it feels a little fraudulent. It feels contrived to create this moment rather than this is how a battle would realistically play out. I think to me, this is one of those, like, it, it's a it's a show don't tell thing. Like, let us know that you stand for representation and diversity and all of these wonderful things that we want by doing it, by just baking it in to the franchise so that you don't need to have these like showy moments of like, look, there are women in these movies. We should just implicitly know there are women in these movies because you work them in all the time and it doesn't need to be this like one big spotlight moment. And then we go back to like the the, the men folk fighting. Like that's that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Was, was this more or less emotional on the whole? Because I'm still trying to wrestle with this myself than Infinity War, because I, I feel like a lot of people well, whenever they talk about Infinity War, they, they sort of, you know, just reference Empire Strikes Back because that's what apparently the law says we have to do when we're talking about <laughs> a more deeper emotional story in a big blockbuster franchise. Does that make Infinity War better because we did leave on such a sour, weird, scary, foreboding note? There is one thing I do prefer about Infinity War to Endgame, and that's that it, it feels it's it's Thanos's story. And I feel like it, it's got a little bit like more momentum in that way that it's like here, you know, we, we're, we're, we're really we're following this. We're, we're getting to know him over the course of him acquiring these stones. And I think it gives it this kind of very compelling through line. Uh, that, that, you know, sort of pulls you through the rest of the story, which is also, you know, some of my same issues with Endgame where you're kind of just being pulled around to every end of this universe and some stories are getting like a, a little bit of the short shrift. But I do like that Thanos really emerges as the central figure that we're keep returning to over the course of Infinity War and like exploring. And also Thanos is just more interesting in Infinity War. Like I think him being this like ideologue who's just wrapped up in his plan and can't see that it's cruel is more interesting. By the end of Endgame, he's just like, well, you guys didn't like my plan, so I'm just gonna like destroy the whole universe. And that's just like a less interesting, I'm mad at you for not liking my ideas is less interesting as a motivation than like, I've got this crazy philosophy that's just really homicidal and weird. Well, he does turn into more of just the, your, your normal reductionist villain by the end of Endgame, I'll give you that. But in Infinity War, Jack, when, I mean, there's moments where Thanos is making points and I'm like, you know, I don't hate the idea of voting for this guy in 2020. Uh, wow. No. Yeah, I, I, would <laughs> no? I would go that far, folks. Okay. No, never. I'm not about that life. Um, but the one thing I will say, I don't know if it's Thanos necessarily, but the effects of his work in Endgame, I also feel is unappreciated. Like when they're in their like, post snap support group with like Chris Evans. And he's like talking about how like the whales came back. The ripples of what he did are like hard to ignore that there were probably some benefits. And I guess they get to play with this, you know, what they call now the blip. They didn't call it the snap. We were the only ones that called it the snap in the post part of the MCU's after Endgame. But yeah, man, I just remember being in a theater when they were like, Five years later, I literally gasped. I was like, oh, whoa, like it's there's a gravitas to what he did that is felt in Endgame, even if his character is not as compelling. Do you guys do you do you think that there is because now that we're in the post blip era, like in Spider-Man or what have you, everybody seems to know everything that happened during this climactic battle. Like people have a minute to minute chronological sense of like and then Black Panther did this and then Captain Marvel did this. Is there do you think there's like a Netflix docuseries in the MCU that's like the six part Ken Burns? Like here's the, the final battle against Thanos like that takes you through it. 
I would totally be up for this. And it's it's just full-on mockumentary style with the yeah. characters in their well, it's costumes. it's like 30 for 30, but in their world, it's not about sports. It's about the Avengers. And, like, that would be a great 30 for 30 episode. Oh, you sold me. And, and I do like <laughs> the fact that this is so huge and so epic that it, it casts such a large shadow over every MCU movie that has followed it. And so it does have to be referenced. And it, you're going to see a lot of people are probably going to see The Eternals this weekend. And I mean, you can't you really can't have a movie exist in this world unless it does reference the events of Avengers Endgame or at least referencing Thanos and what havoc he wreaked in Infinity War and then that we finally stopped in Endgame. But you just think about the emotional weight of human beings where it's like we had just gotten used to having less people around on Earth. And and we had said goodbye to our loved ones and we're doing these support groups and we're trying to make our way, but we're figuring it out. And then everybody comes back. I mean, the economic ramifications, the (laughs) infrastructure breakdowns that would occur if suddenly everybody who disappeared in the blip comes back at the same time. It would be chaos <laughs> yes yeah well captain uh what was it the captain the falcon and winter soldier series on disney plus this it was sort of about this like teasing yeah. out like the refugee crisis and the how the sort of un would be dealing with all of these people returning and that stuff so that that's interesting i need to watch these marvel tv i haven't watched any of the marvel tv shows that's where my oh, research yeah. ended i hear they're great it's not because I'm trying to be a rebel. There's just a lot of live sports on, and I just can't. <laughs> I can't peel myself away from it. There's also a lot of them. Like they've done four now: WandaVision, Loki, Falcon, and the Winter Soldier, and now Hawkeye are all going to be out within pretty swift succession. But I just wanted to add: there is a Captain America musical that you can spy in the trailer for Hawkeye. Yes. So my figure is, if they have a musical, the doc definitely had to come forward. We don't have the Tiger King musical yet, but trust me. It's somebody's working on it. Somebody's working on it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, we are going to work on the behind the scenes talk now because there is some interesting stuff to chew on. So Brian, let's make that transition into our next segment. All right, so this movie obviously did very well at the box office, and it became, again, arguably the biggest film in history, depending on which re-release you want to stop the grosses at Avatar or Avengers Endgame by hundreds of millions of dollars surpass anything else that has ever come out. When we look back at this movie, can we get another one like this? Or is this going to be sort of a landmark achievement, even in the MCU, where there's going to be big movies, there's going to be big event movies where we reunite the cast of a bunch of different movies. Is it ever going to feel like Avengers Endgame again? And I know that we're very new into this world of Shang-Chi and the Eternals, and we're waiting to see what the rest of Spider-Man's career looks like. Are we ever going to get an Endgame again, Juan? I mean, I think to to sort of you know, reiterate what you both were saying at the top of this uh, podcast. Like, it's very hard. It's very hard to get the football this far down the field, let alone across the, you know, across into the end zone. I got all my football terms. You got to just break the plane. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But uh, but I, I, you know, like, I don't think it's impossible. I know there are fatalists out there who are like, that's it. We'll never build up to this level of a climax again. It was, you know, a decade plus all of these movie stars and characters. I don't necessarily agree. I think we've got the X-Men on the horizon. I think we've got Fantastic Four on the horizon. I think there are, uh, you know, people are very, very hyped around Venom and this Sony Spideyverse we're building out over there. And I think that there's still enough threads, there's still enough characters that Marvel has to play with in their sandbox. And now with all of these TV shows, I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's impossible to see, you know, five, seven more years down the road, them being able to build up to the next version of this with a whole new generation of heroes they've introduced and gotten everybody hyped for. Like I, I, I doubted them before, and I've, I've learned my lesson. I, I won't doubt them again. All right, Jacqueline, Lon teed you up perfectly. Do you want to be a fatalist and say we're never getting another Endgame? <laughs> no, we already have one, and the next installment is their Infinity War. Fast and the Furious, baby. It's longer, <laughs> and they are coming. They are trying to get their final, like, Infinity Endgame, and trust me, they went to space the last time. Yes, they did. I think they're they're definitely it's a multiverse in Fast and Furious for sure. There's no doubt in my mind by the end of that 
Dom's meeting an alternate reality Dom and Toretto family. It's happening. Get ready. Yes. And they're going to do dinosaurs, too. Because yeah. the only thing studios love more than IP is cross promotion. And uh, that is where I think the next installment can go. They've been yeah, to they've space. already got the Jurassic World franchise. There's no reason Jurassic not to cross World. these over. This is Get how we're going to have in there. See, this is Guarantee this is what you. the MCU does to people is it poisons our minds to think that everything <laughs> is gonna be this giant team up. And it even happened on a, an episode recently of RT is wrong where I'll just say we were talking about bad boys too. And the idea came up that possibly if you get Will Smith and Martin Lawrence's characters into fast and furious, it's sort of a natural fit. And from there we could maybe get some men in black investigations. We could get some 21 jump street investigations. So I'm tying a lot of studios in together. And if you are the heads, of one of those studios listening right now, you're welcome for the idea. But as Listen, it relates if to the Scooby-Doo MCU, you can attend the Space Jam game. <laughs> anything is possible. All bets are up. I, I think it's a fair. I, I think it's fair to say it's going to be tough to get another Endgame, and I think it's going to be even tougher than it was the first time because now these sort of questions are being asked this early. We weren't asking these questions. We were just hoping to one day see the core team of Avengers on screen fighting in New York together when Iron Man was launched and when Thor came out. And so now to have the weight of these expectations from Endgame placed on newer characters or even existing characters that we have to pivot from, like the Black Panther universe, there's a lot to... There's a, there's a lot of buildup that needs to happen. And so I would say, let them have their time, let them breathe and let them, or as organically as you can, build back up to something as epic as that. But it is going to be tough to replicate the feeling that we all had in the theater. And this is just a, a quick story as to how great that final battle scene was for me because I was lucky enough to be at the LA Convention Center at the world premiere of this. And Jacqueline, you were there too. And I don't know if you had the same experience. Lon, were you at that screening? No, no, I, I did get to see it a little early, but like on one of those like backlot, everybody yeah. with their notebook critic screenings. So yeah, I think I was, I think Lucy and I may have been sitting together. Oh, I was probably that one too. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wanted to go to see this as many times as I could, but that first premiere screening. So they're preparing for the after party in, in like the next big ballroom. And there's just a curtain separating it. And they were making the, they were preparing the food for the after party. One of the stations they had was the McDonald's Happy Meal station. And it was just little Happy Meals with, I think, four McNuggets and some fries. Mm-hmm. But you could sense McDonald's fries and the scent wafting into the screening area right as the portals open and we get that giant panel <laughs> shot. So I am watching that happen on screen while my nostrils are being filled with the scent of McDonald's French fries. And it was the greatest moment of my entire life. It was everything that I've worked for for 40 years coming together at one beautiful culminating moment. But I'm not sure that we can trust your take now because it's been it's been hopelessly prejudiced. You're, because of the brunch? You now Pavlovian style associate the end of this movie with delicious McDonald's french fries. That is a kind of oxymoronic statement. Delicious McDonald's. I'm just going to go Fred ahead and McDonald's say that. McDonald's french fries? Oh my God. Oh. That may be more offensive than not liking brunch is not liking Listen, McDonald's fries. I didn't say I didn't like them, but the idea of them being delicious. That's, mm. yeah. Yeah, I'm a dumb dumb. All right, so I do have some fun trivia before we get out of here. Um, I talked about how it's either Endgame or Avatar. Currently, Avatar is listed as a little bit higher of a moneymaker than Endgame because Avatar just had that recent re-release to get everybody hyped for the new Avatar movies. But if you adjust for inflation, can anybody tell me what the highest earner of all time? Oh, I know that. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I was, yeah. It is, Gone I with agree. the Wind is the only movie in history that sold over 200 million tickets to go see it. Over 200 million tickets. Star Wars A New Hope is number two with 178 million tickets. Avengers Endgame and Avatar both were just over 95 million tickets. It's it's yeah. one thing you got to bear in mind is the length of time they spend in theaters. Like Gone with the Wind was playing in some screens for like nine months a year. Yes. People just went to see it over and over again. A decade. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. th- that movie just kind of stayed in a lot of theaters for years. Right. And and, yeah. and so now we're just like, well, we listen, we got like we got Vin Diesel's Bloodshot's got to get into that screen. Yeah. 
I think also too, like people underestimate too, just the amount of choices. Like you're talking about then you may have gotten 40 new releases a year, something like that. The year that Gone with the Wind um, came out, uh, but still they were Other movies that have sold more tickets in theaters than Avengers Endgame include The Sound of Music, The Ten Commandments, Dr. Zhivago, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Ben-Hur, and 101 Dalmatians. And so while Endgame made the most money, that or Avatar, there's a lot of movies that sold more tickets. I just like to point these things out. So we are going to translate, we are going to transition, excuse me, to our uh, mailbag segment. But before we do, last licks on Avengers Endgame. Lon, you have the floor. Anything about the movie behind the scenes that you want to get in as a parting shot? You know, I, I just, I, I, again, I would say, I, I think that the MCU, it's this great platform for these kinds of like weird individual little, like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies to me are like the perfect, that's the the seamless blend that the MCU could provide. And Endgame is just like, I don't know, to me, not being like a diehard Marvel comics, like I grew up with these as a kid, like to me that it's just not as satisfying. It just feels like we got to throw the entire kitchen sink at this movie and hope that some stuff sticks. And and, and I, I just feel jerked around by it. Jacqueline? I don't feel jerked around by it. (laughs) Look, um, do I understand that the MCU has pitfalls and faults and there are aspects to it that remain frustrating and it's difficult now with so many previous installments for them to push past their lineage, I would say. But I would still argue like a bad Marvel MCU movie is 10 times better than what anybody else is trying to put out within that realm. And you take the bottom 10 NCU movies and go walk it over to another studio that's not too far from Burbank, that's uh, located in Burbank, and they would kill. They would kill to have the critical and box office reception of those. And they've done it with characters who, truth be known, were considered the runts of the litter. Like, these were not the characters that you were supposed to make a billion dollar franchise out of. So it's, it's simplistic if you say, but man, looking back on it, it's a singular effort. There's a reason why people haven't been able to recreate it, though many have tried. It takes way more difficulty and foresight than any of them have, and you gotta get really, really lucky. Yeah. And- I'll not I'll not tolerate this dark universe slander. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am get a proud ready. universal employee. I am not gonna in any way I'm a proud NBCU employee. I'm not gonna in any way shade the universal dark Bring monsters on franchise. The, the- Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, Lana, I was, I was gonna actually, say, once Angelina Jolie's Bride of Frankenstein comes out, we'd love to have you back on the show. If yeah, you wanna, I'm super yeah. on board. We got, we yeah, got yeah, Depp, yeah. Uh, Depp is the Invisible Man. We got a lot of plans. We There's, got Wolfman. They just Wolf- announced. Oh, that's right, yes. Ryan Gosling, Wolfman, Angelina Jolie, Bride of Frankenstein, and then they also have Chloe Zhao directing Dracula with no that's name yet. It, give it all like, to me and hook it in my veins. Just don't kick it off with the weird Tom Cruise mummy. Just, it, just give me that... that Russell Crowe, Dr. Jekyll movie to start everything. Make him the Nick Fury of this and just start from there. uh, We'll we'll get back. Someday we're going to do an RT is Wrong episode just on that Tom Cruise mummy so we can (laughs) talk about what could have been. I feel like RT's probably right. I feel like RT's probably right about that one. It it might be pretty right. Well, (laughs) I feel like they're probably dead on. When when you get to Endgame, you you start looking at it and you start talking about the, the modern era of movie watching and movie reviews and everybody having their say on social media. Pretty stupendous effort that it's 94% certified fresh and a 90% audience score with all of the weight that was heaped amongst its shoulders. So that is our discussion of Avengers Endgame. And now we're going to transition to our mailbag. We love it when our esteemed Ketchup Crew members write us. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Dot com. If you want to get in touch with the show, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what movies you think we should be talking about, such as this email from our member, Iram Prabowo. Hi, Mark Jacqueline and Producey Lucy. Greetings from Indonesia. I've been a listener since the first episode. I'd really love to hear your thoughts about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That movie, in my opinion, is the best movie about any of the U.S. presidents that has ever been put to film fantasy or otherwise would love to hear you guys talk about this stay awesome guys cheers Iram. well th- thank you very much Iram. i would love to talk about abraham lincoln vampire hunter that's a hot take 
the Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, possibly <laughs> even better than Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. There are moments in Abraham vampire hunter that are actually terrifying to me. There's some good in that movie. Do I have any disagreement? Uh... No, there's good in that movie. Look, this is where I was trying to divide it. I don't want to be one of those girls. The book is better. But I got turned on to the writer of this, uh, Seth Graham Smith, because he wrote a book called Pride, Prejudice and Zombies, mm-hmm. which is really dope. And this one is not as dope as that. But there's a lot of good source material. I, with, I wish both of those could have had the day that they needed because they were both incredible historical mashup concepts. Um, I just wish that they would have gotten it. So I have like a weirdness with Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. The book is so good. And so although I don't feel the film is as bad as the score would tell you, I'm still like, man, they should have done this better. Yeah, I mean, Juan, <laughs> we always ask our guests to bring us a movie recommendation. Is Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter going to be yours? It would not be, it would not have been my top recommendation. No, I, I don't think it's like a total loss. I feel like it's, it's a better, it's a great premise and concept and, and source material. And it's, a, it's an okay execution. I think it, it would be, it would be better with a different, maybe director with a little bit, maybe uh, a one more pass on the script. It's like, just tighten it up. And I don't really love the, it's one of those movies from that era where it just looks very like, kind of animated and it's very like CG heavy. And I feel like a, a little bit more making it look a little bit more like the period and a little bit less hyper stylized might've, might've helped. Uh, oh, this it is, we're, we're living in a post 300 world at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. No, it it, right. it had to look to like a comic come to life. It is interesting how close this movie opened to Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. They were like within a few, a few months of one another. And I'm wildly just, divergent takes on checking on my notes record. here. And yes, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was Mary Todd Lincoln. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's automatically a good movie. Juan, it's always a treat when you and your beloved pup Taco come and visit us here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Taco had some thoughts in the background. If you're watching this on one of our streaming platforms, Taco gets animated about the MCU. And I'm not sure how Taco feels about the Eternals, but that is the MCU movie that is opening in theaters this weekend. What is Lon Harris working on right now? What do you have going on in the world that we can all go check out? Uh, we should definitely check out my podcast. One is called Binge Boys. That's myself and Hal Rudnick. We watch a bunch of streaming shows and then we yell at each other about them. Uh, it's all, often I yell at him because he's wrong about them. Sometimes he yells at me. Uh, and then my other show is uh, Garmin Shosia. I host that one with Drew Grant, Video Drew from the mm-hmm. Schmodown. Uh, and that I would just talk about whatever, whatever we were, whatever was going on with us that week. It's, it's pretty free form. Uh, so both of those are Spotify, iTunes, or Apple podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're not recommending any of our former presidents destroying monsters in a movie, what would be the Lon Harris recommendation of the week? Uh, there's a great movie. It just popped up on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, you can watch it for free right now or you can watch it with your Hulu subscription called Censor. It's from the UK. It is a horror movie. It's set during the video nasties era of the 80s. It's about a woman who works as a government censor and she comes to believe that one of the horror movies she's censoring has like information about her childhood and her sister's disappearance and it's a very cool like psychological horror film from the uk uh check that one out have you heard of this jack when it sounds like a in the mouth of madness sort of thing i have not heard of this it's I a little always, bit of it in the mouth of madness sort of thing, right? i love movies that i haven't heard of especially ones where i feel like this is this is my brand of weird and I feel like this is my brand of weird. Yeah, it's a down. great like descent into madness harm. Like if you liked Saint Maud yeah. a year or yeah. two ago, it's <laughs> yeah, like in Saint that. Maude. It's like in that Saint Maud like person slowly becoming increasingly unraveled sort of sort of mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, you see? I, I dig like it. that stuff. This is the beauty of this show. We can spend an hour talking about the biggest movie of all time, Avengers Endgame, but then we can throw some movie wrecks at you of stuff that nobody's ever heard of, or maybe we can just talk about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. (laughs) Also good. Also enjoyable. Rate and review this podcast wherever you enjoy podcasts. Whatever platform you enjoy this on, make sure you do whatever they ask you to do to get this up there and get more people's eyeballs on it and their eardrums. Thank you, as always, to all of our members of the Ketchup Crew who are listening right now. Again, you can email us. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. And next week, Jacqueline, 
it's going to be a pretty exciting episode. Yes, we have a special guest joining us next week talking about a movie that I feel has had its day of redemption, but it will be so great to discuss it. And that is Jennifer's Body with special guest Connor Franta. He'll be talking about his new book and discussing all things Jennifer's Body, a movie that has risen from the ashes, if you will. I have not seen it. And I'm looking forward to watching it for the very first time. And I'm looking forward to cracking open Connor's book because I just got it in the mail. So I have some fun ahead of me this weekend. And that's going to do it for this week of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Thanks once again to our very special guest, the not at all delinquent, the very professorial Lon Harris, his trusty mate Taco, Brian Perez, our engineer, Producey, Lucy, our, well, Producey, my incredible co-host who does enjoy brunch and the Green Bay Packers and other things that winners in life do. That is Jacqueline Coley. I am merely Mark Ellis, and we'll see you soon at Rod Tomatoes is Wrong. 